Hello, this is Brian Croft. I'm the senior pastor of Auburndale Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky, and I'm also the founder of Practical Shepherding. A few years ago, I started a blog about the daily work of a pastor, and that blog has grown into the various ministries of Practical Shepherding. We want to come alongside pastors who are laboring in the trenches of pastoral ministry to encourage and to equip them. And that's why we started this podcast, Trench Talk. So we hope this podcast encourages you and your church as we continue our conversation about the pastor's work. To find out more about Practical Shepherding, visit our website at practicalshepherding.com or you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Welcome to Trench Chalk. I am your host, Josh Share, and I'm sitting here with Brian Croft. And this is a really exciting episode. It's the first of its kind. We are going to discuss a question that we have received from one of our listeners. So are you ready for this, Brian? I'm ready. All right. So the question, it reads like this. They say, hello, I am subscribed to the podcast and think it is a great resource for pastors. I had a question I would love for you all to address on it. While not all traditions are bad, how is a pastor to go about leading a church out of a tradition that is not biblical and could be harming the congregation spiritually, such as holding to a KJV-only perspective? I am from a home church that holds to such a view, and I think it is why many in the church don't read the Bible, because it comes off as a hard-to-read work of Shakespeare. Pastor Croft, Hmm. take it away. Yeah, well, there's... That's loaded, isn't it? Um, let's take the first part first. Um, tradition in a church. So there are all kinds of traditions in churches that are unbiblical, as the question, as he poses in the question. The first thing you need to understand about tradition, though, when you go into a church, is that though it may be a bad tradition in your mind, or even an unbiblical one, It's not necessarily in the people who have embraced their tradition for many, many years. So the worst thing you can do is come in and change that tradition. And this is what I find a big mistake most guys make going into their new church. Is they go in and they look around and they go, well, that's wrong, that's wrong, and that's wrong. And they have not earned the credibility to even be able to speak to it, let alone be there long enough to know whether they're actually right. So I can, I'm already thinking about, you know, times where I've had, there was a tradition that I initially thought was bad, but over certain years, and didn't deal with it though, over certain years, I, you know, it came to, to change my mind on it and never addressed it. So can you tell us what that example is? I don't want to tell what the example oh, okay. that I'm thinking is, but, um, but nonetheless, it's there. So, okay. yeah, I, I just want to be careful with that. <laughs> but there are traditions that, um, you need you even need time to be able to evaluate what the tradition is and if it's you know if it's good or bad. The other thing to realize is is that if you want to win a congregation, you have to honor them who, who they are, where they are. And there's so many pastors that go into the church and they they just don't honor that. And you got people in their 60s and 70s, 80s, 90 year old folks. And you go in and tell them the way you've been doing it is just wrong. Now, you may be right, but that's not the way to approach it. So first things first is go in and you need to give a lot of time. You need to give years before you start addressing traditions that are maybe unhelpful or even unbiblical and tackle them slowly as as you're able to use wisdom and, and see where they're coming from. The KJV only um, example that this 
this person gives. That's a good example of a tradition that we would we potentially could say, okay, that's that's not helpful, um, and it even caused it's caused problems. This this writer things seems to think it's, it's because why people don't read their Bible. I think there's probably a lot of reasons why people aren't reading their Bible if they're not. But let me just say that I think the um, it, it becomes a narrow view of the Bible that's unnecessary in my mind. So. The KJV is actually a fine translation of the Bible. Um, the reason a lot of people don't use it anymore is because of the. There are other translations that are just as good, that read a little smoother, and so it's just easier to read and easier to digest, and that's, and that makes sense. Um, most, I don't want to say all, but most churches that hold to KJV only, for some reason, feel that. That translation is the only legitimate translation, um, or the best translation. I don't agree with that. I th- I think you know, but but if you studied Greek and Hebrew at all, um, and you understand Bible translation at least to some basic degree, then you know that most of the English translations, many of them, I will say, are good, solid translations. All of them have their own issues as far as that you have to. Um, where it's maybe stronger in some places than other, but all of them capture well the the content of God's word to where someone can read an English translation of most Bible translations, I would say a lot of them, and trust that they are reading the intent of the original Greek and Hebrew of those passages. And that's the that's the goal of the English any translation of the Bible, an English translation of the Bible. So um but it you don't want to take that too far and say, well, then the KJV is just a bad Bible. It's not. It's it's a it's a good translation. It's just hard. It is hard to read at certain times. But I actually like flowery language in some ways, and so there are some KJV passages that are actually very moving in the way they're written. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't necessarily make it better or worse. Mm-hmm. So, if a church that holds to KJV only, I don't, I don't want to make a gross generalization, but in many cases, there is somewhat of a misunderstanding about just. How, how to read God's word and how it's translated, how it's put together. And a lot of times that's what leads to maybe what this, this question writers observing that, well, they don't want to read the Bible or they don't understand this. And I think that it shows there's probably more in play going on there, but there are churches that hold to KJV only simply because that's their preference. They, they have reasons they like that Bible, mm-hmm. but those who take it so far as to say it's the only good English translation, I think that's very wrong and that's unhelpful. So in this brother's situation where, you know, there's some issues with the translation that he might like to see changed. If he were to, uh, you know, there are some details we're missing, but if you were to take your counsel, maybe it's, it's an early season in the church, um, and a pastor might like to see that changed at some point. But if he wants to wait, would you suggest maybe some other ways to address maybe the root issue of reading the Bible? If, if foundationally, we want to see people reading their Bibles more, you don't necessarily need to change a translation to do that. Yeah. Well, first thing I'll say is if you're a new pastor going into a KJV-only church, my strong counsel to you is that first Sunday, preach from the KJV. Mm-hmm. Um, when I preach, When I go preach in other churches... I am. I always ask, what is the main translation that church uses, regardless of you know what it is. And typically, it's one of the English Bibles that is a good translation of of the original languages. And I'll preach that Bible. And maybe the first time I've ever there's there was one time I preached at a church that that uh, what was it? It was oh they had um it was the it was the New King James, 
version of the mm-hmm. Bible. I didn't even have a new King James version. I had to go buy one before I went and preached in this church. You know, mm-hmm. I've grabbed a pew Bible before at the church I'm preaching at, and when I find out what that translation is, so um, meet people where they are. It doesn't matter what tradi- tradition it is, but you have to meet people where they are, love them there before you can take them anywhere. And that's the mistake so many young pastors make, especially they don't realize. Oh, you mean, you know, I've got to let them feel loved where they are before I can take them somewhere else. Absolutely, that's what you have to do. And that's what you have to do with, with any kind of uh, translations. But but once you get in there, and this also should matter on whether you go pastor that church. Like, don't go pastor a KJV-only church if you're not willing to preach from the KJV for several years before you try to change anything in that way. I would say don't don't go to that church. You need to find a, you know, a different mm-hmm. one. And probably if you go, like, you know... Don't let it hold you back in your preaching. Like, treasure the Bible. Like, if you're preaching from it, like, <laughs> don't reference, like, you know, all of the, the ways that it bothers you. But, like, treasure it and show your people how to treasure it so that they want to read the Bible more. Well, I think a good, faithful preacher of God's Word, an expositor of God's Word, will will help God by His Spirit, if His people are really there, will, will move in the hearts of His people to love His Word. Mm-hmm. So, I would say that... Is the KJV hard to read for for some people, and that's why be why they're not reading as much? That could be. I would actually be willing to blame the previous preachers of that church more than anything, because that preacher should be able to to preach it in such a way and take that that flowery poetic language and make it simple for the children sitting there, and make it simple for whoever needs it to be really simplified, and make them love their Bibles in a way they haven't before. And God by His Spirit will naturally do that, but the if, if the preacher has to be faithful to preach God's word. So I would almost put responsibility on the previous pastors of that church more so than the Bible translation that they use, though I think it's a legitimate concern that he has. Yeah. Um, say you're a new pastor walking into to a church. How would you triage what, um, what issues are important enough to make changes sooner than later? So, for example, in this instance, if a pastor you know found out their, they, their pew Bibles are the Book of Mormon, that's a bigger issue than if it's the King James, <laughs> right. King James yeah. version of the Bible. Yeah, that's true. So, like, you know, how how are how are you thinking through triaging something that is just your preference that you don't really like, and like something that, as a leader, to be faithful, you really need to do yeah. something about? Yeah. Well, that's a loaded question, but let's try to simplify it at least for this the purpose yeah. here. So, let's go real obvious, and and I would say uh, the the style of the 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 worship service is something you just live with when you come in. Um, that, in so many ways, is preference. And so you need to be aware of that. If you come into a church and two months later you find out that that the chairman of the deacons is having an affair with a woman in the church and everybody else knows it and nobody's confronted him about it, and then you say, well, what should I do about this? Well, you go after that. Like that's I call this. There's some things I call a fireable offense, and people who know me well know me. I say most things. Go in and lo- preach the word, love the people. Don't change anything. Um, but there are some things I call a fireable offense, which means it's worth getting fired to fight that battle, regardless on on how long you've been there. And if you've been there two months, and your chairman of the deacons is having an affair on with another woman, and both of them are married, and they're unrepentant about it. Um, you have to go after that. 
and you have to go after it, and it is, it's, it's worth getting fired over because the name of Christ is being so just marred in that moment mm-hmm. and in those leaders acting that way that you have to go after that. that the, the reputation of Christ is more, most important in a situation that's that obvious and blatant public sin. There are some other things in those categories, and I, and I think if, if it doesn't fall into that category, a pastor needs to be very wise to go in and try to change a bunch of things. And this is why, and I talk about this a lot now, self-awareness in a pastor's life is so important. Because if you're not aware of how to evaluate, or is this a preference, or is this like a, a biblical fidelity thing, mm-hmm. if you can't understand the difference in those two things, you're going to go in and make a lot of dumb mistakes mm-hmm. and do it early and probably get fired in, in 18 months. Yeah. So um, make sure you go in aware of what, you know, it needs to be by default. Okay, this is something that doesn't have to change right now, um, and it may. You don't want to judge it by the thing that just really annoys you more than anything else. That doesn't mean that's the thing to go after. You need to be aware of what's going on in your own heart. Is it a, why is it not enough? Just go in and preach the word and love these people and win their trust before you try to change something drastic. And that's why I think it's so important to have like a mentor in the ministry that you can go to who can help you be self-aware, who can point out, yeah. you know, give you some wisdom about how to proceed in certain situations or somebody who's had more experience in ministry who's gone ahead of you in these ways. Yeah, and that is that is so crucial to find somebody who you can call. Matter of fact, one of my Mathena interns is not completing the second semester of the internship here because he got called to be a pastor at a church. And so he's like, he's been there a month. But we've, we've talked probably every week since he went. Um, because he's he's a first-time pastor, and he's learning all kinds of things about the church that you just can't see in the interview process. And he's trying to process all that, and he's been he's been wise to try to call somebody to talk about it. And that's why I've been, you know, willing to do that with him. So, if you you need to make sure you have a a, a more seasoned, experienced pastor that you can call and and talk to and throw things off of, especially in those early years when you're just trying to get your feet wet and trying to get some experience when you're in a first church. Uh, if you, if a pastor does come to the point where they want to implement change, what are some, some principles for implementing change that you would, that you would put out there? So some that you've kind of alluded to earlier, like you're just generally being patient, showing people that you love them and care for them. Uh, what are some other ways that a, a pastor that you would recommend that a pastor should implement change? Yeah. Good question. You have to study the church carefully. Like you really have to study the church to learn the history of the church and what's going on and why it got to where it is now, good and bad. And then you have to you have to really ask God for discernment that's that's beyond your abilities to know what are the sacred cows in the church because they're going to be different in every place. So you don't want to say you just don't want to put a list. Okay, don't do this, this, and this when it could be a minefield in a totally different area. So. Yeah, so, for example, you go in and the the sanctuary needs a needs to be painted. It's just the the paint's falling off. You know, you walk in. That's one of the first things you see. Just cosmetically, and you know what? This is not welcoming. And we need and it wouldn't cost much money. We could get this done. Let's just you know, let's just paint the walls. And you know, when we paint the walls, um, we're we're not going to hang back up these like three pictures of Jesus that are like really ugly and are distraction for people. 
Uh, by the way, make sure people understand, I'm not calling Jesus ugly. I'm calling many of the representations of him maybe not the most appealing thing to look at. And and especially in, in older churches, you'll find these all over the place. Well, that may be n- no big deal to anybody. Matter of fact, some people may go, yeah, we needed to take that down a long time ago. But what if that picture was came from the house of the chairman of the deacons or the longtime secretary and it was in honor of their spouse who died 10 years ago and they hung it in the sanctuary in, in honor of that person and everybody who walks in there knows that that picture is there. How important is it that that picture gets probably put back on the wall whether you like it or not? So history has everything to do with what things you go after and what you leave what you leave alone. Example in our church was the church owned several houses around the, our property and one of them was was what the youth house was 30 years ago. It was where the youth hung out and did their thing. And when I came to the church there were no youth. So the house had been vacant for years and years and it was getting run down. But it took us 7 years to to get to the point where the church would be willing to let us use that house for ministry in some way. There were some that were just dogmatic about, we're, it's, we want it to sit vacant and rot unless it can be a youth house again. Now, that is incredibly silly to let that be wasted like that. But what's going on there? Well, you got people, one of the people who was advocating for this was a youth in that house 40 years ago who's now 60 years old. And they have all that history wrapped up in it. And there's so much representation for them in that. So study the history of your church. That will help you know if you're wise in looking at that. It'll help you know where the minefields are and maybe where they're not. Well, thank you for uh, for discussing this. If you are listening and you have questions that you'd like to hear uh, Brian discuss, uh, please send those to us. Uh, you can do it on Facebook, Twitter, or uh, you can email Brian. Uh, is your what is your email address, Brian at Practical yeah, Shepherding? Yeah, so Brian B R I A N Brian at practicalshepherding.com. and that that email comes directly to me. So if you write me there, I will be able to look at it, and uh, either it will be something I'll be able to respond to, or I can pass you on to um, to our executive director or somebody else in our ministry that that might be able to help you with that. So. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we would love to, to hear your questions, so uh, please send them to us. Brian, would you close us by praying for this brother and for other pastors? Yeah, let, me, to, let me say one thing before I do that. Go ahead. So, in regard to the question with the KJV, uh, the KJV is, I've kind of just used general terms to say most, many translations are good translation, English translations of the Bible. Uh, I I think phrase by phrase paraphrase you know of, of of the bible translation like the niv and things are fine too but i i think there's something some strength in the word for word translations or the translations that try to do that the nes is, is an example of that the esv is an example of that but the kjv is an example of that so just remember even though we read it and and if you understand bible translation you understand it does there's there's bibles that are stronger just as strong as the, the KJV but um, it's still a good solid translation in the way it's been translated and and so I would encourage people if you're looking for a good translation of the Bible in your church or for you to preach from to be mindful of the difference between a word-for-word translation and a, a paraphrasing of the Bible because some of the paraphrasings get really um, they go too far, I think, and some I don't want to mention certain names of Bibles, but there are some Bibles I think that take that too far and lose the intended 
meaning of the text. So, in, in the midst of the conversation, I just want to I just want to throw that out there. The word for word translations I think are best because they're trying to translate as directly from the from the original language, but they don't read as smooth sometimes. So just keep that in mind as you're looking for Bible translations. And that KJV is is God's word, and um, and it's something to to keep in mind when you're thinking about using another translation. All right, Thanks, let me pray for us. <clears throat> Lord, we pray with this brother who wrote in that you would give him wisdom as he cares for his his home church, and Lord, help him to be patient and loving to them as he has conversations with them about this this issue. And Lord, any other tra- er, uh, traditions that this church has that are, that is unhelpful, other traditions and other churches of people listening, Lord, we we recognize there's good and bad in those traditions, but Lord, we pray that you would help each of these people involved in them to love these people where they are, to let them know that that tradition may, stands for something that matters to those people, and Lord, help us to start by just loving your people where they are. And in doing so, we would win their trust, we would win their love, and then we would be able to humbly lead them where you want us to go. We pray that for this brother who wrote in. We thank you for his willingness to do that. And others who are listening and battling the same things, give them grace and wisdom in their individual situations. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Trench Talk. We'd love to hear your feedback or any questions you might have for us. So to get in touch with us, you can email us at brian at practicalshepherding.com or you can contact us through Facebook or Twitter. You can find out more about Practical Shepherding at our website. And at the website, you can find our blog and you can also find information about articles and books that we've published. You can also find out information about our regional workshops where we engage pastors face-to-face to equip them for the trench work of ministry. Until next time, may the God of peace, the great shepherd of the sheep, equip you as you labor in the trenches of pastoral ministry.